Welcome to the Meeple Syrup After Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 102, Hear Us Roar. And at this moment, Rising Sun is at 1,737,444 or 447 dollars. So I think they've reached their 300,000 pledge. Um, what does that get me? Does it get what? me something? Uh, Are you sure? Special- I, I no, I'm not hitting refresh. It it, it makes me cry. Um, right, our next stretch goal will be the Fox Clan Dymo, and then you'll get some special Fox Dymo Clan material if it can reach 1.8 million. I always want. I always. I've always wanted some extra Fox material. Right, right. Yeah. It seems yeah. so obvious. I always wonder what they say. It's just me. Oh, sorry. I didn't even catch. I seriously did not catch that for like a whole. Wow. Half a You're just getting old, Sam. That's what it is. Same. Yeah. But but you will notice Sam, that they did just recently get a Dai Kaiju, so you could use I that. I know they they they've That's got a nice Kaiju. They've got the Dai Kaiju, and they've got the uh, uh, pagoda on top of a turtle. A turtle. Oh man, I <laughs> lost it when I saw that. I thought, well, now you got my hundred dollars. All right, so we had a wonderful episode. I have regressed uh, back to where I've been spending all my depressed hours uh, watching, watching the watching the rising sun just continue. It's like a very humbling experience. I feel like I'm happy for Eric and I'm sad for humanity, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 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 an interesting phenomenon, right? And I mean, like but, watching Chernang defend Simon on. Uh, being on Kickstarter and stuff is pretty fun. So. Yeah, absolutely. It is fun to watch. So, But we have better things to discuss because yeah. we had a wonderful episode graced by two very uh, experienced. It was actually quite fascinating, all the different experiences our guests have had. And we chatted mostly, the conversation kind of circled around um, advertising, marketing, the different hats that need to be worn in the industry, to get things done. And so uh, I'm curious, what things jumped out to each of you? And also, what conversations has this sparked that you would like to pursue? God, I, I, think, oh, I, I think we really need to actually kind of take a step back and realize how many moving parts there are in making a game. And, uh, you know, I remember kind of early, early on when we were having discussions in the artisans and, and kind of wondering you know okay well what does what does the publisher actually do for us what are what are the what are the the things that they're that they're accomplishing that they that they take such a, a huge cut and you know all that kind of wonderful stuff we're creators and well creators are part of a very very large machine and I, like the more the more we've been exposed to the industry the more we realize just like you said Daryl, there's stuff that's got to be done and holy <laughs> poop the the amount of like the best word in french is polyvalence like the fact that the the girls are were so multifaceted and multi-talented and were able to shift hats and and talk about all the various skills they developed on the on the job if you're going to be working in a company with five people or if you're going to be in a a a spin-off company that's doing digital work and you're you're just getting started there is a lot of different things to do so i mean just to get into the gaming industry very very difficult i wanted to point out though amber said she's both in the gaming industry and the publishing industry i've been in the publishing industry people in that industry 
are there because they really, really, really want to be there. So only kind of the most capable people rise to the top. So I really have to give kudos there that she's kind of in a couple of creative industries where people are so passionate just to be there and she's shown her worth and like being able to rise to the top clearly. So that's tough. This is, this is kind of a, a cut above to be able to do those two things. Um, something that uh, I think both uh, Sarah and Amber talked to that was really kind of, you know, tickling some, some neurons for me was just kind of what Dylan's saying, the importance of the, the chain, the, all the little niche things that have to happen in order to get a game from here to out there in the world. It's not as easy as just, you know, printing press pressing print on, sorry, on your printer and going, okay, there it is, done. And I, I think we, in our little artistic fishbowls, kind of have a myopic view of things when we talk about, you know, oh, I'm only getting, you know, why would you only take, I know, a 7% royalty or 6% royalty or five or four or three or two or whatever, right? Uh, and there's a reason why. Once you understand the business and understand where, people are coming from and how much work goes into stuff behind the scenes the design part of it is the kernel but there's more to it than that right there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes on that's equally if not more important for the game to get out there because i could certainly make 100 games but they'd probably never hit a short store shelf because i'm i couldn't get them to every store that needs to have them so I think what, what they said was a lot of really important stuff for us as designers just to recognize, you know, when we're being kind of in our, in our artistic moments of, you know, why am I only getting this when I'm doing all this work, recognizing that there's a lot of work on the tail end that goes to getting the game actually made and then even more work to get it to the stores and into the hands of the people, right? I kind of want to just do hot pursuit on that comment on the store. Sorry, Daryl. But uh, the last comment that Sarah made about uh, building store relationships, so going between publisher and, and the uh, and the actual bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. what I had to kind of sit back and think to myself, that that's kind of funny because 10 years ago, that's the only relationship there was. <laughs> you know, like the, when we weren't selling everything online, when we weren't, able to target ads to people through Facebook accounts and through Amazon accounts and stuff like that. That was the core of where games were being sold was building those relationships with bricks and brick and mortar stores. And now it's kind of come back full circle. And she's saying, I I just don't have a person to build these relationships with bricks and mortar stores because, well, I mean, the kind of implication is we kind of spent a decade looking at other markets and now we're, we're kind of wrapping back. I think the companies that wrap back will be the ones that survive, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, you, you can't lose touch with the community. You can't go fully digital and expect to be successful anyways. I mean, it depends on what your, your level of success is or your your goal is, but yeah. Absolutely. Well, I noticed also um, there's there's been a, a nice uh, variety of blog uh, posts going up on, uh, if anyone's seen uh, travisseverance.com. Yeah. Um, Travis Chance did an article and um, I forget. 
Tidwell, and then uh, just uh, just recently, Mike Paschal, who was on one of our episodes, who's with uh, Peach Peach State Hobby uh, Distribution, uh, just did a nice article about you know the good problems of the industry right now and what it means, all the work when it comes to the triage of marketing from the distributor. So being that middle person trying to translate the information from a publisher and, and trying to communicate to a store why they should order X game and how many quantities and trying to make this whole guessing game of how many copies of games they should juggle and just that whole that whole industry, that alone is a whole step that that really game designers, or, or at least I should speak for myself, never considered until we started having conversations with these people so some really fascinating um other sides to the industry that the more we talk to each other the more we understand each other and hopefully um can even be considerate of one another and do things even better i think to some degrees i mean uh i i think that this is a question that i, I really should have asked sarah was um how can a designer become more you know, more valuable to, uh, there's obviously hats that need to be, uh, need to be worn by all sorts of people. And clearly within the companies, individual and send those are, hats to me. Exactly. <laughs> Daryl will wear all the hats. Daryl will wear all the hats. Everyone. Yeah. Anyway, but the, the, the basic idea is what are the kind of value added that a, that a designer can bring to the table? Ob the obvious is if a designer can, can come with graphic designer chops, then clearly there's, you know, there's a load of money to be saved. Yeah, but I there's mean, gotta they're, be they're other the, the triple threat, the triple threat at that yes. point, right? Yeah. But there's gotta be other combos, right? There's there's just gotta be. Not everybody can be Josh Capel or That's true. Or, or Gavin Miles, Brown. Gavin Brown or um Ryan Lacat or who's like the quadruple billion threat. And uh, who else does that? There's lots of now artists. That, now that Yves, Yves Turigny is getting into illustration more and more, he's he's becoming a designer. I'm pretty sure he's already got it. He's already got, got it. it. He's exactly. It Just not in, in board games as much. He's doing illustration freelance on the side. That's, but yeah, you, you can see that's that's a killer combination. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, how we do it usually is Jay and I parlay our other skills into the realm of, oh, we'll make the video or we'll script or we'll, I'll write the music. So yeah, if you have any other skill set in your designer, use it, you know, and it makes you more valuable or more likable, I guess. I don't know what the real word is. Hey, as the sell sheet master, I got to say, you, would you throw your additional skills on a sell sheet? Would you like have fine print saying, and by the way, no, I don't do that on the sell sheet because the sell sheet's specifically for the game. Uh, yeah. I would, I will talk to um, prospective publishers about that and say, "Hey, by the way, this is also what we've done. We actually have like a little, you know, list of all the YouTube videos we've done in terms of um, like videos that we've done for you know Train of Thought or you know this town thing for the Dude of Four of Us or whatever." And I always list maple syrup. You guys should list maple syrup as things that you do and places you you're always at, and you know that your convention junk I think, or whatever. There's a lot of ways to to add. To I that. think a lot of the time too, having someone else almost bring that up or vouch for you becomes like a really great calling card as well. And I'm going to do that right now as an example. But like for instance, I have an app, a new app for a game, 
uh, that's created by another game artisan. Yeah. Uh, and so this is shopping time. But Eric, uh, I'll butcher her. How do you say his last name? Rao. Just Rao? Oh. I think so. Rao. I don't know. I'm talking to him right now. I can ask him. One sec. Oh, well, you just talk about the app, and I'll talk well, to Eric. Here's an example. Eric is a wonderful designer, but he also has a skill set of making apps. And so uh, he just finished making this one, and he's working on the next Mercury game app that involves Sen and Jay, uh, a, a future Bamboozle Brothers game. I don't know if it's public information yet, so I won't out it. But that's an example of Eric already had a relationship uh, as a designer, but also had this other skill set. And then Jay spoke up and said, hey, well, if you need a, an app designer, like here's someone that's in our regular playtest group anyway. So um, I think that's also one of the most wonderful things about our hobby is that we we most of the time are a pretty friendly group that love to help one another and try to encourage and support. Um, you know, there's constantly times that I know Sen is chatting with people and giving, you know, advice out there. And uh, most people um, are shocked, but that's just the way he's wired. And I think it's also just a way that the game artisans are wired is that we love helping one another and uh, trying, you know, the the rising tide helps all boats. That's really, you know, a bit of our motto is that yeah. we love coming alongside and helping this hobby get even better. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think it's like Beetlejuice. Hold on. We said his name and he called me. Jay, what's he called up? you? Wow. Hey, dude. Uh, I got to say. You can, you can tell him that the app works on my phone. I just was downloading it. Hi, Jay. Well, I'm on air right now. So are you. Hold on. Oh, um, it's Jay. Yeah, it's Jay. Well, actually, no, no, no. I was bragging about him. It's Meeple Syrup time. Hi, Meeple Syrup, says Jay. Uh, no, it's it's Eric uh, Ro Roe. How do you pronounce Eric's last name? Raw. We get we Ra get answers for you right away. We get you. Roe. 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 I knew it was a little more complicated than Roe. There we go. I didn't say Roe. I said Rao. But yeah, you're oh, Rao. Okay. Oh, hey, we I, got a question online. One sec, one sec. I actually kind of wanted to just say one thing. Yep. Well, yeah, go for it, Dill. One thing. Just to, so to follow on, and I kind of want to do a, a kind of a resume from what uh, Amber was saying. She was talking about doing a skills inventory, more or less, and kind of setting goals for herself. Extremely, extremely useful. But from what we've heard and from the various kind of additional skills that a designer can offer a company, it's probably useful for a designer to sit down and do a skills inventory. Talk about, like, think about the stuff that they can offer and be able to pitch that. It makes sense. We're now, you know, designers discussing designs. There's a great tip that we can take from this interview for uh, for budding designers. Yeah, on, on my desktop, I have a press kit. And on my press kit, I have all that stuff. So it's pictures of me, pictures of the games, pictures of Jay, pictures of Jesse, whoever I've designed with, uh, all the sell sheets, but also kind of like my, like my game CV and... Mm -hmm all that kind of stuff, like the little blurb, like, you know, Sen is a blah, 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 from blah, blah, blah. That's all in there. So I just send that all to uh, not only to publishers, but to websites and things like that when they want to interview or whatever. Um, Michael Murray asks a question. He says, do those designers with additional skill sets negotiate higher percentage of sales when selling to a publisher? Or would publishers pay for the art or graphic design separately, for example? Um, those are good this questions. Is, this is a really good question. I can help at least contribute uh, a little feedback on that yeah, one. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, so one example uh, that I can point to from my personal experience actually was I represented a game for a friend. And it is right here, Rival Kings. 
from Adrian Adamskew. And uh, one of the cool things about this was that when negotiating, you know, pitching his game and negotiating it, uh, one of the things was that they wanted some help with the project when it came to development. I love development. So we were able to negotiate uh, a little bit of that to include me getting compensated for ongoing development work as the game got ready. So that's an example. I know, for example, uh, some artists that or, or graphic designers that will pitch a game. I know it's happened at IDW where they've pitched a game. They've been signed for the game, and then it's a separate contract for their their work if it's graphic design or art. I can, for example, uh, Stephen Sauer with uh, uh, his upcoming game, Perlock Holmes, he got some extra work with some graphic design work, but that was a separate uh, compensation for that work. So there's a couple examples from, from me. I don't know about you guys. I, I think you got to realize that every negotiation has two winners. And the fact, like, when you make a good negotiation, both both parties win. And in the end, if you pitch a value added to a publisher and it costs less than doing it another way, they're losing money by not taking it, as long as you make a good offer. Yeah, I think that's really important, is you want everyone leaving the table feeling like a winner. Yeah. And, and I, that really means not thinking in terms like that you need to win. Mm-hmm. Instead, think... You know how is this going to be great for everyone? And if you will, if you go through that, work? then you want, for instance, the company to do very well because mm-hmm. that means that they're going to be still around for the next game that you want to pitch them. So. Right. Yeah. Your goal is not to milk a company for everything it's worth if exactly. you're selling a game to them. But yeah. So uh, you know what? I don't think we've ever been paid more per se, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure our games do better because of what we do. Therefore, sure. we get paid more, you know? Yep. Um, there's there's nothing like, you know, they will make the video and get paid 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. I, I don't think that's ever been a thing. We enjoy doing it anyway. So um, part of that is because we're picky. <laughs> part of that is just because it's fun. Uh, and so, you know, we do a lot of the, uh, like, back-of-box texts and stuff like that. So uh, I do a lot of copy editing for the companies. And it, it's definitely it's definitely helpful to have that. Well, why don't you also give a plug for said you you and Jesse and a few people have been do, doing some other services, and I know oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to yeah. be doing even more of that and kind of offer that more in the future. Yeah, so um, there's a bunch of us now, uh, and in London it's me, Scott Vinfleet, and Jesse Wright who do game development for you know companies so if there's anybody out there watching and you want your game further developed even if you're a small publisher or whatever uh we'll work out some type of sliding scale if you want three really good game designers to actually sit down with your game rip it to shreds and put it back together um for the better then you know get in touch with us i think that's something that you know, one of the things that from Travis's rant over the last week, which raised a lot of eyebrows, I think, uh, in a good way, it just brought to light some issues that he thought were true that maybe well, other people didn't. But it was a it was a little shocking. Eric Eric Martin, I don't know if you saw that. Oh but, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Ooh, yeah. That was he got he got riled up. Yeah, and and I and I think um, you ooh. know Jeff's response was probably more the way I see the industry than Travis's initial sure. uh, volley. But my point is, my point was this: that I think part of the ennui that we feel with a lot of games right now um, is that there are a lot, and a lot of them aren't so great because a lot of 
a lot of them get, get you know pushed out too soon of the nest and they could use a little more love in they could use a little more development oh, yeah. and i think in the long run some some short-term payment to a good development team oh yeah maybe mine that's that's one thing uh and some extra time just to incubate that des design a little bit longer you know the fr it's funny so we're part of a lot of online forums right and there's people who join on day one. The first thing they say is, hi, my name is X and I have a game and I'm thinking about kickstarting it right now, like now. And then you have to get down and dig down a little bit and say, hey, how long have you been playtesting this? Oh, you know, once or twice, you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, so the, the Kickstarter thing is a dream and you have to prepare for that in order to for it to become a reality. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of problem in the industry when we can do that, put out a product that might look good, but doesn't play well. And I think that's, that is something that I am concerned with, but I don't think there are too many games, but anyway. Well, we had this discussion last week, so I, I thought we had all agreed. Yeah. I'm getting a little recursive because I have a, uh, I have a time travel game in my head. So uh, Ooh, very nice. That's one of my holy grails. Yep. Yep. Time travel would be awesome. Mm -hmm. very cool well uh what what uh i know sen and i will be out at breakout con if anyone's yeah. there uh please uh join us i know at least uh sen's got a uh a upcoming idw game that we're gonna be play testing so if yep. you want to join us for that uh sen and jesse uh, together have a really great game that we're going to be testing. And I know uh, each of us will have some other games there. And there's sure. a lot of wonderful designers. So uh, please don't be shy. If you're at Breakout Con, we love playtesters. Yeah, so in Toronto, Breakout Con, I think it's pretty much sold out. But you might be able to get some tickets. Uh, I think you can get them at the door. You just can't now order them in advance. Oh, on the advance. And you probably can't. You might not be able to get the whole weekend at the reduced price. But right. I don't know. Go yeah. check. BreakoutCon.com. Yeah. Re reach out to them it's a con yeah, and find out what it is and uh yeah so i'll be there josh capel and i are play testing the expansion for rock paper wizards dungeons and dragons rock paper wizards cool um we've got a bunch of other games that we're testing out uh there jesse and myself and uh a game from jay and myself some idw stuff and some other stuff from other publishers whiz kids whatnot so yeah cool. come on it's gonna be a good time also, uh, anyone that's going to be at Gamma or Unpub next week, I'll be there. So please don't be shy. Um, love to chat about games. Mm -hmm. And Dylan, what are you going to be doing? I'm traveling. Oh, oh secret travel. Yeah, it's not secret. It's just travel. <laughs> it's travel for work. We're, we're hoping the travel will not interfere with Dylan being able to be on the show I'm, next week. I'm hoping. We'll just see how fast the internet is where I am, and if it's good, we're good to go. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, I will likely not be with us. Okay. So. Okay, cool. So, uh, Dylan, we get to pick the topic. <laughs> it's so fun. All right, so so just email me some ideas for topics. We'll find some guests, and Beautiful. we'll we'll totally keep Daryl out of the loop. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we're gonna say goodbye. Thanks very much for watching, and thanks to our guests today, Sarah Erickson from Renegade Games and Amber Cook from Asmodee Digital. Wonderful guests. Watch the pre-show to see what they had to say about all sorts of stuff like marketing, uh, customer service reps, how to break into the industry if you're not a designer. 
It's it's actually really cool. Uh, so yeah, and we'll see you guys back here next week, uh, same time, same place. And on Monday, you can catch the game dojo. And oh, Daryl, come on, man, when is that pitch show coming? Yeah, pitch the, the pitch, pitch show, show. The pitch show got delayed because uh, Nate. I'm gonna has blame, been I'm gonna blame Reno. I'm gonna blame but, Reno. Yeah, you can you can definitely blame blame Reno. The other thing is, we're not gonna be doing it live. We're just gonna be recording it and then uh, posting them, so there won't oh, okay, be a, so be a live. To us. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. Excellent. 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 All right, guys. We'll see you guys all later. Thanks very much for watching. Bye. Bye. Adios. Bye.